Show Ali and Trey Wingo in this hour. Let's not waste any time with Show. Blue Jays broadcaster for Sportsnet 590. The fan joins us now. Good morning, Show. What's going on? Good morning, Justin. Uh, you know, it's funny, Justin. You mentioned Noah Syndergaard. Hey, I'm here, too. Uh, hey, I'm here, too, Sean. Oh, Say Gunner, to what's up, buddy? What's up? How are we doing? <laughs> I, it, it's funny you guys mentioned Noah Syndergaard because I, I thought to myself the exact same thing, Justin, that, oh, man, like, what a sexy matchup. Like, on paper, like, you know, Noah, Thor, going to see Thor pitch today. And then I, I thought to myself, you know, we haven't actually seen the Thor of yesteryear in quite some time. But based on how the Blue Jays' offense has played, maybe we might actually see that Thor. Yeah, it's a 5.72 ERA for Manoa, 6.75 for ERA. So the pitching uh, from uh, Syndergaard, rather. Uh, so the pitching bonanza that we've seen in Cleveland may uh, may not last through the fourth game of the series. Have you uh, have you been enjoying all the uh, lack of runs being scored across these three games? <laughs> you know, I actually have haven't mind seeing guys like like Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams and Logan Allen pitch. Actually, Logan Allen didn't pitch that great, but it did, it did feel like the Blue Jays had like a bazillion flyouts to the warning track yesterday with Stephen Kwan really twisting himself into knots to catch a lot of those outs. But yeah, the offense has been a, a tough watch as of late. It's um, I, I, I wanted to be madder than I think I ended up being at, for example, Davis Schneider grounding into the double play. On it's, is it, is it like an indictment on me that I thought, boy, like I guess I guess he'll fit in fine with the Blue Jays. <laughs> no, I think it's an indictment on somebody else. It's not you, though. Show. I mean. I think that we got to kind of, you know, the the general takeaway I've had from this team this year, not to, I mean, easy to have this coming off this series, but I've had it even when the bats have been a little more awake is that we just kind of got to recalibrate our expectations for this lineup. I mean, especially without Bichette in it, you take the best hitter or one of the best hitters in the American league out of any lineup and it's going to neuter it. But this one really feels it. I mean, George Springer provides him with the lone source of power yesterday, but that's been nothing you've been able to bank on. I mean, when Whit Merrifield is the guy you feel the most confident about in your lineup at any given point and no shots to Whit, he has been above and beyond what they've expected, but that's just no way to go through life. And, you know, I think when people think back to these 15 and 16 teams it's the big boppers and homers everywhere and it's like we just got to recalibrate expectations for what this Jays team is going to look like because it's never going to be that yeah I do think that like it I think you kind of like we all kind of to a certain extent conflate like bad with uh with the with the performance of the offense which I, I don't necessarily think is true right because you look back at the the 2020 team and I remember so many times we're having a conversation in in both 2020 and that 60 game season or in 2021 when the guys coming out of the bullpen with a alarming regularity were guys like like Tyler Chatwood and Rafael Dolis and we're all kind of saying oh boy like can't the bullpen be better or can't the starters be better? And, and yeah, like, oh, it's great to see the offense play this well, but, you know, I would kill to have a competent bullpen. I think a lot of Blue Jays fans said that for a very, very long time, even before 2020. And now you kind of have that. It's just, it's just really unfortunate that it has effectively come at the expense of the offense. And the funny thing is, it's like not as though a lot of the faces that have played well offensively have changed over the last couple of certainly over this year, I should say, like certainly Teoscar Hernandez, not in Toronto anymore. Certainly Lourdes Gurriel Jr., not in Toronto anymore. Even other faces like Randall Gritchick, obviously not in Toronto anymore. But, you know, it's just kind of strange that all of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk, 
and even George Springer to a lesser extent are all having career worst years it feels like at the very least Springer and even beyond the home run yesterday which was a great AB 13 pitches and he finally gets the better of Logan Allen it was awesome to see I feel like I'm, I feel comfortable in saying that he is com- completely off the schneid, or at least well well a- away from it, versus where he was before, because he has actually been quite consistent since breaking that 0 for 35 streak. But you definitely need, you need a lot more than just George Springer to get it going, especially Gunner, like you're saying, with no Bo Bichette, because the, the the responsibility will have to be shouldered by their biggest bats. Like it's not going to fall as much as you want more guys like Paul DeYoung to perform. It's not. Gonna going to fall on Paul DeYoung. It's going to fall on, you know, Vladdy and George and, and Kirk, for example. Why, why does it seem like George Springer is what determines whether or not the Blue Jays are successful or not? Like you see the numbers six and two on this little run that he's on, the games where he hasn't been productive while well, they lost those games. Is it just like the nature of him, you know, uh, over the course of a season where he is up and down and it reflects where they're at? Or is he like just too important to the roster, too important to the success of the offense, just given where he is and what he is as a player in his age 33 season, I believe it is. Yeah, you know what's funny, Justin? I feel like like we all kind of knew when Springer signed that deal. It was like what six or seven years, 150 million thereabouts. And when he when he signed the deal, I think we all thought and knew really like by come the end of the deal, there would be a period of time where Ross Atkins would probably have to trade an asset to move Springer if they didn't want to finish that his contract with all that money on the books. He kind of figured that because it was it was it almost felt like kind of like with a lot of Toronto sports, not just the Blue Jays. But with a lot of free agents, you kind of have to overpay this guy maybe by a year just to get him to come to Toronto in the first place. Ultimately, still love the deal. I have no real complaints about it. But because of the injuries and and all that he suffered and all the the kind of load management stuff that he kind of had to deal with in the first couple of years of the deal, I I guess I'm not sure people really expected – him to decline in production, you know, quote unquote, this soon into the deal. Like maybe in the last two years of the deal, but in what is effectively what year three, I guess, of the deal, you, you didn't really expect it. So I think that's kind of why, because when that much money is being tied up in the bat of George Springer, like over thirty-five ruts, like honestly, like they, they're going to happen. Like guys have ruts, but that those severe of ruts where he's, you know, swinging at the first pitch and grounding into double plays and all these different things. Just can't really happen, and then of course double, doubly so with no Bobachet. But it's funny because it, you look back at all the good he did for Houston, and certainly for the Blue Jays over the past couple of seasons. Like he, he is one of those few guys that has the the clutchness. It's kind of hard to always quantify it, but he has it in his bat, and has demonstrated that he has it in his bat. So for it to evaporate. So as much as it basically did over the course of this season so far, it was really disappointing. But I, I'm glad to see that it's back because, yeah, with no bow, they're going to need that from him more and more and more. And you know what? George Springer, there's still so much tread left on the tires for him that I, I feel like I'd, I'd have been even more disappointed if he just didn't get to see it even for another two years more consistently. Well, and I think the thing about it is just look at how the contract's gone, right? I mean, he was able to get out there by the end of the season last year, but we spent all of August wondering aloud how much, if any, he would play. Would he just bat? Would he play the field? So you were staring down the barrel of in the second year of a deal, the wheels were already falling off, and then you see the big slump. I think a lot of people are are right for the concern. I'm a little less bullish on him than than you. I think, you know, it's I'm not saying we won't see 
see little runs of success from him, but just as guys age, it just gets less consistent. And that's why even more so it's like, we talk about windows to win and it's like, is it Gosman's contract? Is it before Springer's becomes a burden? Is it well, Bo is under contract. It's like, yes, all of the above. It is definitely the window to win uh, this year or, or next there. You know, we, we talk about the kind of lack of clutch bats on this team. And that's, that's been a, a topic ad nauseum again in the eighth last night. You have less than two outs. You have the bases loaded, and I will commend them. They did put the ball in play this time, unlike two nights ago, so I guess uh, small improvements here, but it is just infuriating seeing this team. Like, you get you get the bases loaded, and there's two outs. It's not going to always come out in your favor. Zero, it's one out. It's not going to always work, but back-to-back days with that exact scenario and unable to scratch anything across, that's the stuff that has people, you know, clamoring for a hitting coach change or asking about approaches. That's what drives people nuts yeah Gunnar. i think the thing that really baffles me when it comes to the hitting stuff is that you look it's 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 not just one guy right like i think a lot of people like in a certain sense conflate like the hitting coach with like an offensive coordinator in the nfl like you say oh well this the offensive coordinator is calling plays in from the sideline and (laughs) he's relaying it to the quarterback and he's telling him all the aspects of the play that need to be executed on the field before the ball can be snapped and after the ball snapped and so on all the reads he has to make and I feel like it's it's the same kind of thought process is to a certain extent applied to a hitting coach like the guy goes up there and strikes out or hits into a double play or something and then he can say okay well do this the next time or move you know change choke up on the bat a little more or wind your stance or do do any a number of things and and it's while I don't think that's necessarily true the Blue Jays employ like I don't know like five people at, at different stages of getting guys ready to go actually be out there on a field. It's not just the hitting coach sitting in the dugout, but the bench coach. You got all these hitting specialists as well. Like I just if all of those guys are providing input and you're consistently seeing quote unquote lesser offensive performances from guys where things haven't really seemingly changed all that much. Like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been on this team for ages and he hasn't really, you know, it doesn't really feel like a lot has changed for Vladdy year over year. And I think he's demonstrably having a worse season, for example, this year than last year. And then you have someone like David Schneider who you know, he is obviously was never going to be the the Babe Schneider that we saw in Boston for the entire season, as, as nice as that would be. But even you know, he, he had a lot of success at different levels of the minors coming up, especially in Buffalo this year. And again, it's going to happen. You're going to ground into double plays here and there. But it's just, I I do kind of wonder if maybe like in the off season, as much as I've resisted the idea of maybe the uh, blame falling on the hitting coach, it, it probably needs to change at some point. Now, you mean look at the Yankees; they fired their hitting coach and they're at the bottom of the American League East but I mean the change probably does need to come there at some point just because I'm not sure how much longer they can keep doing this and just keep saying well it's a down year for everyone because if it was one guy I'd believe it but boy it's basically everyone. So I'm not so so sure what to do with this series show. Of course, we're three games into a four-game set with Cleveland's six total runs scored, a couple one-nothing victories each side. Uh, I don't know if it means everything or it means nothing, sort of when looking at it, because 
this Cleveland Guardians team has thrown some pretty good pitching at the Blue Jays, and that's, you know, underscoring an underlying issue that has been there all season. And then you got the pitching for the Blue Jays, which has been really good all season and has been really good in this series, but you got to consider the lineup. So when you consider the opponent here and what it means for, hey, what we can see over the last seven weeks or so of the season, are you making any judgments or is this kind of just a weird series where no runs are being scored and, and it doesn't really predict much about the future? You know, I, I definitely sometimes look at what the Blue Jays' offense is doing, kind of like we're talking about here, and think to myself, boy, I certainly hope they can turn it around. But then again, you know what? I I was feeling pretty good about the team leaving Boston, right? They had, what, like three straight games where they had like 14 or more hits in like literally every single game. I think Sportsnet Stats had said something like they hadn't done that uh, against any team in a three-game series since like 2004 or something like that, which is absolutely absurd. So it, it's just so crazy that they could go to Boston and just hammer the poor Boston Red Sox and, and it felt finally beat not only beat them for the first time all season but sweep them after going 0-7 versus the Red Sox and then come to Cleveland against like a, I would say even compared to the Red Sox like a demonstrably worse team and then play like we've seen unfortunately over the course of three games and now you have Alec Manoa going on the mound and Manoa I think has looked better there have been some things for him to hang his hat on but again I don't I don't think you're necessarily going to get the same pitching from Alec Manoa as nice as it would be I'm not sure you're going to get the same pitching from him that you you'd gotten from Kikuchi and Gosman even to, even including his last start which was very very good but yeah I don't know Justin I think I think for me the the series that I am kind of looking to see if they can turn it around or at least be a little more quote unquote normal is actually the series that starts tomorrow against the Chicago Cubs because before the season if if you had said to me man are you really going to circle the Chicago Cubs in mid August as like a benchmark for the season in the second half uh, we probably would have all kind of laughed about it but the Cubs have like actually been hitting the cover off the baseball they've been playing pretty well offensively their starters have been going decently deep as well so on, on a weekend where there's going to be some big celebrations at the Rogers Center for, for a member of, a, of teams that people are very fond of. I, I am very much looking forward to seeing how the team comes out there and responds, especially with guys like Barrios and Bassett on the mound. Ooh, that'd be bad laying an egg on, on Saturday. You don't, I mean, you don't want it any night, uh, but definitely not that. I think the thing that's frustrating about the kind of six game run or seven game, once the series wraps up, if you just jumble the Red Sox series and this one against or, or with each other is that they went into Boston and it's a team that can hit but can't pitch. And they beat them up, and they were kind of high-scoring games, and they did it that way. Then they go into Cleveland, and it's a team that can pitch, but they can't hit a lick. And it's like, okay, they're out there playing one-run games. There's been two runs combined or whatever it is in the entire series. I worry. Now, this is very much a football term, and I don't know that it applies to baseball. But do you have any worry that the Blue Jays are the good-bad team or the good okay team because I see them and when they have a team that has a very obvious flaw they're able to take advantage of it it's like yeah they keep the Guardians bats quiet because they have great pitching they go into Boston and they beat up a bad staff including two openers but what does that really prove us like how much of that do you think is a fair concern yeah, I think I think that's valid, Gunner, because you know you look at the way this team has played a, a, over a, like a variety of series across a number of different opponents, and they have been so up and down against a lot of different teams, right? Like this is the same team that went to New York and swept the Mets. This is the same team that swept the Braves at home 
arguably the best team in baseball. This is the same team that, you know, has stopped the Rays from a historic start to the season. This is a team that also swept the Diamondbacks coming off of a very hot first half of the season. And unfortunately, this is also the team that has beaten the Orioles twice all year. And this is also a team that, you know, the Padres are struggling right now. And the you need the Padres to actually beat the Mariners in order to gain some ground in the wild card race. And the, the same Mariners, the Blue Jays lost two of three to just got batted around in the eighth inning by the Mariners last night. So it, it's it's a very it's a very odd team in the sense that like I, I, when I say good bad, it's, I guess the thing that strikes to me the most is I I do I do kind of wonder if they are capable of stringing together that like killer instinct part of the game because it always does kind of feel like whenever went up my spine you say in that term (laughs) like it it, it, you know look look at the boston series for example right like there were so many moments where and and again they swept that series so i'm not going to complain too too much but there's so many moments where like the bases were loaded or there are two guys on with one out and they get like one run out of it or they and, and if they get two runs you feel oh man this is great or in this series you know in los angeles where they were maybe one really bad inning not even game but bad inning away from sweeping the Dodgers in Los Angeles and there were so many points where you thought man if they if they just tacked on one or two insurance runs they'd be in so much more of a better position so it's it's like the killer instinct thing and it's again not something you can really quantify not every team does it super consistently because I mean it's it's a massive league with a lot of games you play on a nightly basis so it's kind of hard to make every big loss or big moment that doesn't come through like a referendum on the entire season but at the same time like it's it's also what like August 10th today like I feel like we should have seen it more by now we un- unfortunately haven't for, at least from the offensive side of things because I'll give the pitching and defense all the credit in the world, especially the pitching, because those guys have gone out and slammed the door in other teams' faces more times than I can count, and that's probably counts for something, I'd say. Yeah, I think the most encouraging thing from last night's game uh, was that back end of the bullpen leverage situation, one-run game, and it seemed like even without Jordan Romano, the Blue Jays had an answer for any question that Cleveland could ask of them, Uh, you know, using Mesa and Hicks in the ninth inning. It was pretty encouraging and maybe a glimpse into the future if they get into some big spots and just have an abundance of arms that are ready for those moments. Yeah, it was really great to see. And I have no problem with John Schneider micromanaging the bullpen in in super close games because you got to do that. You're going to have to do that in the playoffs. And the bullpen is, at the very least, equipped for it. And again, you've kind of navigated a large chunk of this 17 games in 17 days aspect uh, stretch of the season here pretty effectively when it comes to the bullpen because yeah no Trevor Richards right now nor Jordan Romano right now Chad Green with that funky uh, incident in Buffalo where he gets like tagged to the back of the head from the by Tyler Heineman when he's making a throw to second so it's a lot of like weird stuff like that going on right now for the bullpen but despite the fact that they are shorthanded they're still operating like one of the better bullpens in all of Major League Baseball like Bowden Francis I think there's something there Jay Jackson has been found money basically all season long and he had those couple of big moments in the in the Dodgers series in Los Angeles like we were talking about so yeah pretty much every member of this bullpen has been or can be trusted to give you relatively speaking high leverage innings and when Chad Green Jordan Romano it's a lot to heap on Chad Green so maybe we can do, we don't have to count him right yeah, he's now he's had enough even, throwing at him lately show yeah <laughs> yeah I, I I feel you maybe maybe I should not uh, add on to poor poor Chad but beyond Green like even if you bring back Richards and Romano uh you know these guys probably will be 
I don't know. Is it hyperbole to say maybe the best bullpen in the American League the way they've performed lately? Uh, I mean, it's it, like I can never wrap my head around that, but like everything points to that being, and I again, I haven't racked through, you know, gone through every single team in the American League, but it seems that way, which is crazy. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Like I, I actually like don't remember. I don't know if you guys can remember better than I can, but I, I struggle to remember the last time Maybe, like, in my adult life, I could say the Blue oh, Jays yeah. had yeah. the best bullpen in the league. No, I mean, I, I don't think in my lifetime uh, that's been the no, case. No, I mean, he he who shall not be named was a deadly lights-out closer, and then he went to Houston and whatever happened there. Like, <laughs> he was amazing, but they did he didn't have the support that is no, around Romano close. right now. It's not even close, yeah. It's really funny. It's true. Like, I, you, you, like you probably have to go back to the 90s like the early yep. 90s Key. in order to yep. really talk about yep. it i think yep. which is kind of funny definitely so we'll see uh we'll see what that's worth uh unfortunately if they don't get the run scored it won't matter much but those guys are ready if given a lead it seems uh for the blue jays this year it's a big weekend at the ballpark level of excellence for jose bautista which means it's a big week of radio shows or weekend of radio shows for show ali we will be listening show uh best of luck this weekend and yeah we'll be listening it'll be fun Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, I'll be down at the Dome on uh, on Saturday, so I'm very much looking forward to it. I, I, I can't wait to see which uh, former Blue Jays managers and players uh, peek their head out of the dugout on Saturday. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, mm. it should be a great weekend, a celebratory one at that. Uh, we appreciate you having on. Let's do it again soon. See you, guys. Uh, that's Show Ali of Sportsnet 590, the fan. Let's get to something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, so the khakis haven't completely um, taken yum, over. Yum, 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 yum. The khakis is. have not completely taken over. There is hope yet for baseball and baseball pitchers who want to throw no-nos and perfect games. Uh, Michael Lorenzen last night cashed a wake and rake for us, by the mm-hmm. way, throws the 14th no-hitter in Philadelphia Phillies history, left out on the ni- uh, for the ninth inning, needing 124 pitches yes. to do that. None other than Rob Thompson makes the decision to keep Lorenzen out Sarnia's there. Sarnia's Risking injury with the guy who was brought over at the trade deadline to make a difference. You gotta love it. Good tough Canadian boy, Rob Thompson. He loves it there. <laughs> you love to see that. That's awesome. I... There's nothing I hate more in the world than finding out a guy had a no-no and it's like, hey, he walked 13 guys and he hit five. We had one with Valdez last week. We had another legit one last night. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, especially when you're winning a bet uh, doing so. We got a big guest after the break. Trey Wingo will stop by to talk a little NFL. He's got a lot of things going on in his world, so we'll tee those things up and the NFL season with Trey Wingo uh, next. In-depth Blue Jays coverage with an analytical twist. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL preseason has officially begun. We had the Hall of Fame game last week, but the full slate week one of the preseason begins in earnest tonight. A couple games on the schedule before, you know, the full slate of games uh, this weekend to tee up the preseason and really the NFL season. Uh, Let's bring in our next guest, Trey Wingo, senior NFL analyst for the Pro Football Network and host and writer for 33rd Team. Lots of things going on for Trey. He's got a new podcast coming out this season as well. We're looking forward to diving into that. Good morning, Trey. How are we doing? 
Well, doing great, guys. How are you? Uh, we are doing pretty well. Uh, as it stands now, you know, on the cusp of the preseason, again, beginning in earnest, what is for you the biggest storyline in the NFL? Well, I mean, obviously the storyline that's dominated the last two off-seasons has finally come to fruition, and Aaron Rodgers is no longer a Green Bay Packer, and the expectations for the Jets are out of this world. So, you know, look, I think everyone's curious to see if the Jets got it right this time after failing so many times and, uh, you know, with Brett Favre a few years ago. So I think obviously a lot of eyeballs are there. I also think that there's a real opportunity for the Chiefs to do something that hasn't happened since the Patriots did it in Super Bowl 38 and 39, and that's repeat a Super Bowl champs. So uh, I think to me, right off the top of the bat, those two things jump. Yeah, certainly uh, the the two biggest storylines to me as well. The the thing I keep going back to with Rodgers is like, do we get Vikings Favre or do we get Jets Favre? I mean, I know they both ended kind of yeah. similarly, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the way I'm kind of looking at it. Just looking at the the AFC East as a whole. I mean, the Patriots. I've still been waiting for them to bounce back. I don't expect them to be world beaters, but I don't know that that uh, that Bill Belichick just forgot how to coach a football team overnight. So I'm curious how they're going to look. But looking at the rest of that division, obviously the Jets stuns of intrigue there we know everything going on with the uh with the dolphins and then when you when you look at the the bills and, and what they've been able to do they're still the kind of class of the division but how much does rogers change that for you if anything you know i i don't know if it does change that much because i still think buffalo top to bottom is the team to beat but i will say this you know for all those years when when bill and brady were there they basically had a layup into a home playoff game in the afc east it was never a competitive division. And this division is going to be extremely competitive this year. And going back to the idea that Bill Belichick didn't forget how to coach, that is 100% correct. But since Tom Brady left, 2020 season, COVID missed the playoffs. 2021, uh, make the wild card, get smoked by Buffalo in the wild card round. 2022, missed the playoffs. It is not an overstatement to say this is a very important year for Bill Belichick. And if they don't turn things around, I am con- not convinced, but you, I'm fairly certain that when Bill breaks the record for the most wins by an NFL coach in history, I don't think it'll be as a member of the Patriots. Hmm. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I've been kind of most of my attention, I guess, has been on the AFC East uh, this offseason. Uh, we're, we're connected to the Bills, clearly, uh, you know, close to the border. Uh, the Rodgers storyline is interesting. Uh, but the Miami Dolphins also pique my interest. It seems like uh, sure. they're a bit more creative. They're a bit more ambitious than, you know, than the average team that's really trying to break into that elite tier. And I guess the elite tier has been reserved for Buffalo, Kansas City, and Cincinnati over the last uh, a couple seasons. Do you think that Miami has done enough to sort of break into that triad and, and uh, you know, threaten in the AFC, threaten the Chiefs who are trying to go back to a Super Bowl, threaten the Bills for the division. Do you see Miami having, uh, you know, done enough to be in that tier themselves? You know, the Dolphins are fascinating to me because it really, they have the most explosive weapons of anybody out there. And I mean that sincerely, uh, comparing them to anybody, whether it's Kansas City or Buffalo or Cincinnati. So much of it is predicated on what happens with Tua and his long-term health. Um, So that obviously, you know, can he be on the field is the number one thing. The other thing that nobody's really talking about with the Dolphins is Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator coming in there. Miami's defense was was a pendulum last year, really good at home really bad on the road. Like the splits were alarming. 
And Fangio, when he was the, the Broncos head coach, they didn't win a lot, and they didn't beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But that defense did more to slow down Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs than anybody else in that division as long as Mahomes has been there. So to me, Miami is about two things. It's about the impact that Fangio can have on that defense and whether or not Tua can be on the field for 17 games. If those things happen, Miami has the ability to do all the things you just said. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, you know, not telling you anything you don't know, but Mike McDaniel's being the guy kind of pulling the strings with the with the weapons yeah. there. It's certainly interesting. Uh, you know, we'll go to the stop he was at before. Uh, Sam Fran, uh, as much intrigue as there is in the AFC East, I don't know that there's a team I am more I have more questions about, but that could go one way or another for me than Sam Fran. Uh, Purdy was a guy we kind of all wrote off as okay that injury that late in the season. Well, it looks like he's going to be at least in the mix earlier than we thought. And then Trey Lance is this kind of great unknown. You don't take a guy what was it third overall uh to have him sit for this long what do you uh what do you expect from the 49ers this year well not only do you not take him to overall to sit this long they gave up three number ones to get him i mean let's let's not forget that i mean they gave up three first round picks to go get trey lance and it does feel like he's the forgotten member of the quarterback rotation there i mean sam they gave sam Darnold what five million dollars you, you, you're not paying him that to to be the third guy so it is a fascinating dynamic in San Francisco because it is as if the guy that they invested all that capital in just a couple of years ago is the odd man out. And, you know, and the weird part about that for me is they knew that when they drafted him because mm. they didn't play much in college, yeah. you know, and they knew he had to have that experience. And then he didn't get it the first couple of years and then he got hurt. And it, it does feel like he's sort of lost in the wash right now, which is a, a fascinating thing because most anybody will tell you, and, they, and they'd be right, you've got to have a guy to win in the NFL at quarterback, unless you're the 49ers, who almost made it to the Super Bowl without a quarterback last year. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. And whoever the quarterback is for San Francisco is set up to be fantastic. They have one of the best offensive lines in football. They have one of the best playmakers in Christian McCaffrey. They have depth at the wide receiver position, a game-breaking tight end, and a suffocating defense that will obviously be better when both the ends is hold out, which he will at some point, and gets that deal. So whoever is a quarterback for San Francisco is set up for absolute success. So just just hearing you answer that question, I wonder if the roadmap there, because I agree with you, you don't give anybody five million bucks to to do nothing. Well, I don't know, maybe some people have got it in their life, but you understand what I'm saying. You, you don't give them that to just have them sit there and forget even just carrying a clipboard, being the third guy to do it. Does it feel like Purdy is maybe that chip? Like it feels like there's always a quarterback out there of be it a free agent guy who's kind of held out. We've had this in the past with Philip Rivers, and you know Tom Brady is like the white whale out there that I think we're all kind of wondering about maybe week ten, week eleven if somebody gets hurt but if a team suffers an injury in camp it feels like Purdy is the most obvious option that like that should be their first call and I wonder if it's just a case of the 49ers kind of looking to see if they feel confident enough in Lance to kind of not have the security blanket in a guy like Purdy well yeah I mean it's fascinating because as good as Purdy was and let's be real clear he was great last year for them like he was absolutely phenomenal it's a small sample and for anyone to suggest that they are 100% convinced that what you got from a seven-game run is essentially what you know you're getting for a 17-game season, I, th- I think that's a big question mark. So, you know, I, I for one, would, uh, would want to see a lot more out of Brock Purdy before I did anything drastic in my quarterback situation. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers are one of the most fascinating cases in the league because it's not as though they've squandered a window. They're right there. But it just seems like if they've made... 
any other, like uh, uh, so many other decisions at the most important position that they'd be in such a better place because you mentioned it. You know, they Brock Purdy ticked him to the, to the place that they were last year, and Brock Purdy could be that guy, uh, but it just seems like if they made other decisions, if they didn't make that Trey Lance decision, they might be in a spot where they're undeniable favorites uh, to get to a Super Bowl and, and perhaps win it. Another team that I'm interested in is the Baltimore Ravens, who of course got a deal done with Lamar and maybe are acquiescing a little bit to Lamar's uh, wants or demands. They bring in Odell Beckham. They got Zay Flowers. They look like they're a much more potent attack this year. Do you expect big things from the uh, Lamar Jackson-led Ravens offense? Well, yeah, not only that, let's just take a look at that division. Everybody's talking about the AFC East. You have um, you have Lamar back, and they've been so injured the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, the Bengals are one of the elite teams in the NFL. Uh, I, I do think Pittsburgh might surprise some people. And then Cleveland fascinates me as well, guys, because they have everything, kind of like San Francisco. They have playmaking wide receivers. They have one of the best running backs in Nick Chubb. They have a good offensive line. They have playmakers on defense and game record in Miles Garrett. Like They're very similar to San Francisco, but we don't know whether or not Deshaun Watson is ever going to be what he was before uh, he had his issues on the field uh, in Houston, where he was one of the top four quarterbacks in football. And Lamar is interesting, right? Because they eventually, and I mean the Ravens organization, have essentially said, this is what we believe Mark, Lamar can do. We're going to tailor our offense around that, and we're going to be successful that way. Well, now they're going in a completely different direction, and they're going to rely on Lamar to do more things than they did uh, under the old offense and the new offense with Todd Munkin, the new offensive coordinator. So it's very much a, all right, let's see how this works out situation in my mind, because we've seen Lamar function at a very high level in a very specific offense. And that offense, as you said, is changing with a lot more weapons now. And it's as if they're saying, okay, we've done this for a while. Now we're going to try this and see if we have the same level of success. And it's a great experiment this year. Yeah, it very much feels like a high floor division. Like, I mean, the Steelers, like, say what you will about what they, the step back they took last year, but it's like Mike Tomlin is the the buoy of NFL head coaches. Like, he's going to drag you to the surface one way or another if you give him any semblance of uh, players around him to help him do that. Uh, one, one other, I mean, team, but specific player I want to ask you about is Justin Herbert. I mean, you talk to anybody who covers this game, forget covers it, just watches the league. They say, that guy can spin it as good as anybody else. But there's more to being a quarterback yeah. than just that uh, obviously he got paid I'm not going to begrudge him that and I'm not going to question it quite frankly with how talented he is but this is a team who's still looking for their first playoff win with him they had the heartbreaker last year to the Jags uh, what do you make of the Chargers heading into the year well you know the Chargers perennially have done that I mean that was the year it was either 2009 or 2010 they had the number one offense and the number one defense yep. in the NFL and inexplicably found a way to miss the postseason which you know is the most Charger thing ever <laughs> until they lost a 27 point lead in the playoffs against the Jacksonville Jaguars so uh, I don't think the problems with the Chargers are Justin Herbert related I think they're everywhere else related uh, Herbert to me is as good as it gets and he has good weapons they just need some breaks like Every year, it feels like the Chargers are just decimated by injury. Uh, and even you know, last year, Herbert was—he you know, had that fractured rib cartilage in the Week Two game against the uh, against the Chiefs. And if you look at anything about fractured rib cartilage, it says it takes like three months to heal. Well, that's the entire season. Okay, so he played all of last year uh, with a really debilitating injury and still performed at a very high level. To me, it's about the Chargers as an organization. Will they get it right? Will all the picks and the signings of Tom Telesco 
come to fruition. Will Brandon Staley understand that sometimes a field goal is a good thing? Like, I've never seen a guy just forget three points more in my life than Staley on several occasions. And, you know, you go back to that Thursday night game against the Chiefs in 2021 in December where you know, he just refused to kick field goals. And quite frankly, that's the reason they lost that game. And I get it. You want to go for it. You want to do all this stuff. But the whole point of being a coach is you put yourself in the best position possible to win the game. And sometimes a field goal is a good thing. And I think the Chargers need to understand that. We're chatting with Trey Wingo, who's launching a new podcast for this upcoming NFL season, also involved with a new app called Stunt Sports. Um, Justin Fields uh, is an interesting case because apparently in Vegas, the greatest liability, and I guess sports books everywhere online, the greatest liability right now is for Justin Fields to win the MVP, which means a lot of people are betting on Justin Fields to win the MVP. Uh, do you have similar confidence in Fields this season and, and I guess uh, in the Chicago Bears at large? Listen, I have confidence in Justin Fields, but I, I am somewhat surprised, and I don't want to, you know, that we're getting this much play for him to be the MVP. Because if Justin Fields is going to be the MVP of the league, then two things have to, have to happen. One of one of which is Justin Fields has to play significantly better. Like he was really good last year, but if you're getting on the MVP level, he's got to do more than just run. And you know, he had the second most rushing yards by a quarterback in NFL history behind Lamar Jackson last year. So for Justin Fields to win the MVP, he's got to get better. But also, by another token, the Joe Burrows, the Josh Allens, the Aaron Aaron Rodgers, and the Patrick Mahomes of the world are going to have to play a lot worse. Mm-hmm. So are you, are, for me, those two things come, coming at the same time to give Justin Fields the MVP seems like a lot. It seems like a stretch. And it's not a knock on him at all. It's just that these other guys have to take a step back as well as him having to take a step forward. And I'm not sure all of them are going to do that. Yeah, so many things have to go right there. Somebody must have, and I realize I'm a guy saying this on the radio, which will become a podcast. It's like somebody on a podcast must have said this and everybody just jumped to it. And then all of a sudden the lines are moving and then someone thinks sharps are on it. You know how this game works, Trey. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You know it well. Uh, Eagles, they're a really interesting team to me. And the question I have basically is, how do they prioritize having the best version of their offense with making sure Jalen Hurts survives to 27 years old or however old he's going to be at the end of this season because they used him and they abused him last year. And look, they almost got a Super Bowl out of it. He wouldn't change it. I'm not saying they should, but a franchise quarterback in the NFL is as valuable a thing as there can be. And I don't know that you can just run one into the ground uh, the way they did with Hurts. Again, it worked and I'm not knocking the the result there, but you got to try to prioritize his health at some point as well. How do you think the Eagles kind of balance that question this year? Well, it's a really good point because in talking with Justin Fields about Justin Fields as we just were, you know, I think the model for Fields should be Jalen Hurts. Uh, I know Jalen missed a couple of games last year, so he finished for what, what just under 800 yards rushing. And I think the, the Bears would be very comfortable with that model for Fields as opposed to what he did last year. Because what happened on one of those runs, that's when Jalen hurt himself in that game that caused him to miss uh, two of the last three games. And quite frankly, if they hadn't needed the final game of the regular season to win the division and get the number one seed, he probably would have missed that game too to get himself ready for the postseason. So I see Hurts as an ascending player. Look, everywhere he's been, they've told him, yeah, but someone's better. Okay, you go to Alabama, he wins, and then he's replaced by Tua. Then he goes to Oklahoma and people are like, well, you know, he's not going to be Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. And he lights it up. At Oklahoma. Then he comes into the NFL as a second round pick. Wow, well, you know, they've got Carson Wentz, so he's probably 
not going to take over there. And then he takes off. He goes into the postseason his first year as a starter. They get smoked in that game in Tampa. And then last year, he just plays lights out. And if he's not hurt and Mahomes doesn't do the Mahomes things that he did, he's probably the MVP of the league. Jalen is an ascending player, and Howie Roseman has done a great job of giving him the weapons uh, around him. Again, one of the best offensive lines in football, playmakers at every position, and a good defense. My concern for the Eagles, more than Jalen Hurts being run into the ground, is change. And when you're good, things change. They lost both their offensive coordinators. I mean, both their coordinators, offense and defense, to head coaching jobs and Gannon and Shane Steichen. So how will they manage the constant change in the NFL? Um, and they do have to find a way to, to make sure. I, I like running as a quarterback like a nuclear deterrent. You want people to prepare for it, but you only really want to use it as a last resort. You know, you know what I mean? Like that's a, make them think about it, but you really don't want to use that unless you have to. And I think that that's a, that's a model that I think Philadelphia is going to try and use with Jalen this year. But I do believe he's an ascending player, guys. I, he's top five quarterback for me in the way, the way he's progressed now. Uh, before he made news this week or last week, Eric Bieniemy was a fascinating story to me. I could not understand why he's leaving the Kansas City Chiefs to join the Washington Commanders. I still don't fully understand. Doesn't get any credit but, in KC, that's why. But the reason why he's not a head coach in this league, have we recently learned out why? I mean, he's too hard on NFL football players? Like, what is it? what's going on there? Well, it's interesting. Like, anybody that will spend some time around the Chiefs will tell you about, like, he's He's, a, he's an abrasive guy in the way he delivers stuff. I have no problem with that. And, and obviously the Chiefs had no problem with it. There was that uh, scene last year at Indianapolis right before the half where uh, Mahomes and, and Danny sort of went at each other in week three uh, about play calling at the end of the half, which Mahomes thought was not as aggressive as it should have been. Uh, so there's always give and take between Eric Bieniemy and his players. What I find more fascinating about this guy is that Ron Rivera just volunteered this information. Like, I mean, I appreciate it. We all want the coaches to be as honest as possible, but what good does it do for you to say the things you said about Eric Bieniemy to everybody? Like, that's how that got out, right? That's yeah. how that whole thing started. And it was Ron last year who said we need better play, specifically at the quarterback. <laughs> you know, he was unflinchingly honest then, and then he sort of had to say, hey, I shouldn't have said that and done that uh, with Carson Wentz, even though he was right. Uh, and Carson Wentz is unemployed for a reason. But, you know, I think that Ron, which is great for us in the media, needs to be a little less forthcoming. You well, know? Trey, do you he, think he's do you th the one that sort of put in the ethos here? Do you think he did that to protect his own job to a certain extent? I mean, Biennemi didn't make a lateral move because he doesn't want to turn that into a head coaching job somewhere. And I do yeah. wonder how much of that is just like, you know. Let me a little office politicking. Let me just swat this guy down a little bit. Like, is that a crazy thought by me? Oh, it's not a crazy thought. I, 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 I do think knowing Ron, but I don't think that's his style. Okay. Um, I just don't. I just don't think that that's the way he would he would operate. Um, but it, it certainly it does. It is interesting. Just to say, why would you say that? Like, uh, I, I can't. I can't totally dismiss it. But I, I don't knowing Ron the way I know him. I don't think that's something he would do. He's pretty much a, a, a straight shooter um, and always has been. Um, it's just the last couple of years, he's like, you know, you, you know there's, there's the old line, there's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yeah. <laughs> just give us the truth. Yeah. You know? <laughs> keep the whole and nothing but for, you, for your players and your coaches. Just give us a little bit of the truth, and I think we'll all be fine. Uh, last one for you, Trey. We watched the Johnny Manziel doc yesterday, talked about it uh, this morning on the show. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but of course you would have covered that yeah. storyline very, very closely. 
Uh, when you reflect back on that time, whether it was 2012 and the Heisman or everything that followed, uh, what do you remember most about that? Honestly, guys, and I, I just what I remember most about Johnny is that I knew he liked being a football star, but I had no idea if he liked being a football player. Because those are two very different things, right? You, anybody wants to be the star. They want to be the show. They want to be the guy that's running all over the field, throwing it and doing all that stuff. That's what everybody wants. But when you come into the NFL, everybody's good. Everybody's good. And you need to put in that time. And I remember, like, the first, before his first rookie minicamp, he was going back and forth to Vegas all the time. And I'm like, this is not a good start to this scenario, <laughs> you know? And it turns out that's exactly right. I mean, every, everything that me and some other people thought might be the biggest problem for Johnny turned out to be the biggest problem for Johnny. Johnny Manziel liked being Johnny football, um, but everybody's a Johnny football in the NFL, and you got to put in the time and the effort. As my good friend Mark Slaret says, just because you get paid doesn't mean you're a professional. And Johnny Manziel never figured out what it meant or wanted to find out what it meant to be a professional football player. No, and just the, he had the hand held to the extent that it needed to be just to get to the draft combine, just to get to the NFL draft. I mean, that was definitely the best part of the doc, just them detailing how hard yeah. it was getting him just to the finish line so he could make the money before going to Vegas every other or every other weekend, I was going to say. I'm sure it was more frequency yeah. uh, than that. Uh, Trey, this was a lot of fun. We appreciate you jumping on this morning. Uh, we'll check out the podcast. We'll check out the app. We're looking forward to the NFL season and looking forward to you covering it. You got it, guys. Anytime. Take care. That's Trey Wingo, senior NFL analyst, Pro Football Network, and host and writer at the 33rd team. Uh, let's give away a little, little treat. Little McDonald's. Yes. As of August 1, for a limited time, Canadians can get their hands on the newest McFlurry flavor from McDonald's Canada, the Squishmallows McFlurry. To celebrate the latest addition to the McFlurry lineup, we will be giving away prize packs of $100 in McDonald's gift cards. All week. All you have to do is tune into the Fan Morning Show, listen for our daily code word, text it to 590-590. Today's code word is simple. It's candy. Text candy to 590-590 for your chance to win a $100 McDonald's gift card. Um, McDonald's, if you want to give me food and or beverage, would accept. Just just putting that out there in the ether. Always. It's an open. It's not an invitation. Gen- I guess gen- it's an invitation. Generally speaking, yeah. always an open invitation. Don't know that I... There, there are places... And you dabbled this morning. There are places I love that uh, that have, have people been like, oh, do you want to go eat X? And I've been like, eh, not in the mood. Don't know that I've ever not been in the mood for at least a little something from uh, McDonald's. So there you go. Free plug. Get your money's worth. Give them free stuff, please. I asked uh, Trey at the start of our conversation what his... NFL storyline he's covering the mm-hmm. most right now was what what's most interesting to you? Like Rogers is the front and center. I got one a little Rogers me. fatigue. That's why I asked. I, I'll be honest. Like the question, and this isn't a thing we're gonna have in the lead up to the season. This is a question that will come to fruition like week eight, week ten. I'm really curious about what the Eagles do with Jalen Hurts because I think sometimes we understate what he is as a passer because he is such a dominant runner of the football. But this is a question, and it's a different style of of player, but this is the question the Bills had with Josh Allen of you cannot just continue to run your super stud face of the franchise quarterback that you pay hundreds of millions of dollars. You cannot run them like 10 times a game, and they're going to do it more than that. So I think it's going to be a really interesting balance for them. I think it's going to have to be picking your spots more than they did. The other thing about it is they don't run Hurts like a quarterback. They run him like a tailback. Like he just runs right up the gut Mm. all the time. And the other one that I'd have to say, this is more of a camp thing is everything going on in San Fran with their quarterback room, quarterback comp. That's all very interesting to me. 
me because like Trey said, even if it's Sam Darnold, like, I mean, that's a very big indictment on the other two guys that are there if it ends up being him, but I don't think it'd be some abject disaster. I think Shanahan has proven he can kind of scheme it up for anybody. So yeah, I'm uh, very interested in that one as well. Yeah, the Eagles are at the top of my list uh, as well. What do they do for an encore? They go out and they drop Miles Sanders. They go out and get DeAndre Swift, who is an unbelievable weapon. He's maybe not the best patch, pass catching back in the world, but if you get the ball in his hands, uh, good things generally happen. Uh, this is a team that maybe isn't suffering the cost of winning as much as others. I mean, it doesn't seem to matter for Kansas City. It matters for other teams, though. Mm-hmm. But it seems like Philly was able to keep going. They had a great draft. It just seems like they are ready to go again and be just as good or even better as they were last year when they went to the Super Bowl. It does seem, from the outside looking in, and if, correct me if you feel any differently about it, but it feels like the Eagles GM, Howie Roseman, has like, and I know, shocker, it's like his team's right off a run to the Super Bowl. I know they didn't win it, but it's like he feels like he has the belt in the NFL right now. It seems Every conversation I have with anybody about the league goes back to the Eagles are just doing it right. Everybody loves their draft. Everybody loves their free agency. And again, I'm not poo-pooing it. It's just, it seems like they are the organization that is doing it top to bottom right now. And it's like, again, it's funny, like all these things are connected. It's like, who was the guy we thought of about the Eagles forever before it was Andy Reid, the guy who's created the machine in, in Casey. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, preseason uh, is underway, but gets underway this weekend. Two games tonight. I got a bet on one game. I'm I'm mm. pretty fired up. I'm betting on preseason football. It is degenerate stuff. This but will it shock is you guys for the wake and a lot of I'm going to take the under in Jays Guardians. Okay, we're okay. just going to do that. I haven't looked at it. I don't care if the under is one and a half. We're taking it. <laughs> and that will conclude a baseball hour in the 8 a.m. hour because we got Brooke Jacoby, former MLB infielder and the Blue Jays hitting coach from 2015 to 2018. Pretty good years uh, in there. And we're going to have Harold Reynolds on to go around the league just a little bit. Also touch on the Blue Jays. It is Jacoby and it is Reynolds in the 8 a.m. hour next.